invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 26, looking this morning at verses 16 through 19. A keen observer may note that we are passing over some verses in chapter 26, but we're not skipping them all together. We will uh, return to them uh, at Thanksgiving time. So today we're looking at Deuteronomy 26, verses 16 through 19, verses that really take us to the heart of this relationship of belonging between God and his people. So let's hear now the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy 26, beginning in verse 16. This day, the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he has promised you, and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. The 17th century poet John Donne wrote, no man is an island entire of itself. We've heard that before. In fact, we heard it just this morning in Sunday school. Dunn is is right. No one was made to be alone. We We were made for relationship. Chances are all of us in this room at some point in our lives have experienced the discomfort of feeling as though we did not belong, as though we were out of place. Perhaps it was because we moved into a new area. Perhaps it's because uh, we're attending a new school or on a college campus for the first time. Maybe, maybe we're with a, a close group of friends and, and we're new to that social group and we, we just don't see how we fit in. Perhaps, sadly, it's even something you've experienced in the church, this feeling of being on the outside. It's a terrible feeling because the desire to belong is, is central to human identity. It's essential to health and and happiness. Now, secular psychologists who have an evolutionary understanding of human beings will will try to explain this and say that it's it's based on the development of our species. For the sake of survival, we have become social animals. I think we'd all recognize that 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 really lacks explanatory power 
for our own experience. And in reality, our need for belonging goes much, much deeper than that. The reason we need to belong is because we were made by God to be covenantal creatures. We were made to be in an I belong to you, you belong to me relationship. This is the ultimate reason for our search for a sense of belonging. It's it's a fundamental part of human nature and belonging. This theme of belonging is exactly what we find here in Deuteronomy. So let's look at this passage, which, which again really gets to the heart of what the entire book is about, mutual belonging. It gets to the core of this covenant relationship of belonging in two parts. First, in this relationship, the Lord is our God, verses 16 and 17. Second, we are his people, his treasured possession, verses 18 and 19. Both aspects of belonging involve an incredible privilege and a responsibility for us. Verses 16 and 17 underscore the privilege of having the Lord as our God and the corresponding responsibility to obey him and keep his commandments. And verses 18 and 19 highlight the privilege of being his treasured possession and our call as his people to live for the fame of his glory among all peoples. So let's consider the first aspect of this relationship, the Lord our God. Again, this passage, it brings us It brings us to the heart of the book of Deuteronomy, but it also brings us to the end of this central section of the book of Deuteronomy, running from chapters 12 through 26. Some of you might think, we've made it! We've made it through the rules and the laws and the statutes. That's what Moses calls them, the statutes and rules. In fact, the phrase, these statutes and rules, is found back in, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 1, and it's repeated here at the end of Deuteronomy 26 in a kind of bookend fashion. And so 15 chapters, considered as a whole, 15 chapters of highly specific, detailed instruction in God's statutes and rules. They're being wrapped up here. That's a, that's a lot of detail. It's a lot of instruction. But before we we go on to explore the the two sides of this covenantal relationship of belonging, we need to to hear the urgency of this passage, and we need to take it to heart. Notice how Moses begins with the words, this day, in verse 16. And he goes on to repeat, today, today, in verses 17 and 18. Makes me think of the, the words of the Puritan uh, Richard Baxter, who, who said <clears throat> he thought of himself as a dying man preaching to dying men and women. That's, that's Moses here. He preached as to never preach again. The entire book of Deuteronomy, therefore, is charged with this, this sense of urgency. There are 60 occurrences of the Hebrew word for 
today. Now, sometimes occurrences of this word you know, speak to a specific moment in time, but taken together as a whole, the, the repeated today, 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 again and again, charges the message with an urgent sense of immediacy. In Deuteronomy, we, we hear a call to keep the faith, to love the Lord, that, that not only applies to past generations of God's people, but to our generation, but to us, as we hear these words proclaimed. So today, the Lord calls us to remember where we've come from. Today, the Lord commands us to remember what he has done to bring us out in order to bring us in. Today, he declares that we are a people for his own possession, and today we have confessed that he is the Lord our God. And so that means we must listen to his word so that we might live. Because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, the pivotal moment of decision, it can it cannot be relegated to the past or postponed for the future. It's always right now in the world of Scripture. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, Hebrews says. Choose life. And we, we need to hear this urgent call and not relegate its relevance to another generation. That's not how God's word works. It's a word that he speaks to us today. He's, he is speaking to us now. This isn't just a word God spoke then to them. It's a word he speaks now to us. And as the Lord speaks to us today, he wants us to know that he invites us to claim him as our God. That is the emphasis as Moses wraps up this long and lengthy section of rules and statutes to remind the people that the Lord is their God. They've declared it with their own lips. And before we connect that to our responsibility to obey God's rules, I think we just need to pause <coughs> for a moment and reflect on the immense and unimaginable privilege of having the Lord be our God. What does it mean? What does that mean to say that the Lord of heaven and earth is my God? Though well, the very first thing it means, the fundamental thing that it means, is that our relationship of belonging to this God is grounded in his free, redeeming grace. You know the first time we find this language, Lord your God, stated in this way? It's when God told Moses what to say to the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 6. God told Moses to say to the people, listen to this, I am the Lord, right? the great I am, the self-existent, existing one, the one who has all life and glory and blessedness, 
and sufficiency in and of himself. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Listen, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know, by God's redeeming acts and great acts of judgment, you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. So when God's people hear the Lord your God, the very first thing that is supposed to come to our minds is that he is the one who delivered us from slavery and defeated our enemies, taking us to be his people that we might have him as our God. He is the one who brings helpless, needy people out from oppression to bring them into a land of life and peace and glory. So so having the Lord as your God at the most basic level means he redeems you. He rescues your life from the pit. He, He brings you out to be his and invites you to claim him as your God. Now, there's so much more we could say about that. We could look at the, the Psalms to think about what it means to have this Lord as your God. You know, my light, my salvation, my rock, my fortress, my, my shield, my song, my praise, and on and on we could go. But if you have this God as your God, the most basic thing that we need to understand is that he sets you free so that you can belong. He redeems your life so that you belong to him. This theme of belonging is developed more, of course, as scripture goes on. And it's clarified in the gospel of John. What it means to have the Lord as your God is brought to full light in the coming of the great I am in our flesh. You remember all the I am statements in the Gospel of John? I am the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. I'm the door. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. All of these statements directly connecting Jesus' identity with the Lord, the I am. Okay? In Jesus, the Lord himself came down to redeem his people so that we could call God our Father. Jesus made this abundantly clear after he died and got back up again. He said in John 20, verse 17, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Now, maybe we've heard that too many times for it not to strike us as odd. How can Jesus say that? How can Jesus say those words? My father, your father. My God, your God. How can his eternal father be our father? And the answer that we find in the gospel of John is because he is the son of God who came down to make us sons. 
to make us the children of God. By believing in his name, John says, we have a right to become children of God who are born of God. So in Christ, the eternal father becomes our father, the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our God. Such a way that Jesus teaches us to pray our father in heaven because this is our relation to God in the Lord Jesus. And coming back to Deuteronomy, we can see then how the responsibility to obey flows from an already existing relationship. Think about what for Israel. Israel was already redeemed and embraced and made to belong. This is crucial for us to get if we are ever going to understand the place of obedience in the Christian life. The Lord does not command us to obey in order to become his people. He commands them to obey because they already are his people. Of course, as human beings, all of us are bound to obey God, but we're thinking here in terms of the covenant, special covenant relationship that God has with his people. Obedience is not the means by which we earn a relationship with God, but it is the means by which we enjoy it. It's not the means by which the relationship is established, but it is the means by which it is enjoyed. You need to recognize that God alone initiates and determines the the terms of his covenant relationship with his people. And it is a relationship of mutual belonging. But it is a matter not only of an initial union, but also communion. And this, this applies to other relationships, this principle. The, think about the parent-child relationship, right? Parents don't say to their children, I hope they don't ever say to their children, Right. If you obey me, I'll be your daddy. Right? If you're good enough, you can call me dad. I've never said anything like that to my kids. No, parents tell their children what they ought to do precisely because they already belong to each other. They are already bound to one another in relationship. I mean, it'd be pretty weird, wouldn't it, if an adult went around bossing other parents' children around, right? But it would be an equally weird and strange thing if a parent never told their child anything, right? No instruction, no direction, no no expectations, no rules, no discipline implies no real relationship. The fact that parents tell their children what they should do and often give them highly specific instruction and direction, you know, how many veggies you need to eat on your plate, not just how many times you need to brush your teeth, but when you need to do it, how much screen time you're allowed, what time you need to go to bed, what time you need to get up out of bed. All of this underscores the existence of a relationship. And this is how we ought to think about the detailed instruction we have seen in Deuteronomy. God is our Father, 
our loving and infinitely wise Father through faith in Jesus Christ. And we may not like to be told what to do or not to do any more than our children do. We may wish that God had less or different things to say about certain areas of our lives. But the fact that God has made us to belong and tells us what to do, it actually speaks to the reality that we really do belong to him. That we're his. The fact that God The fact that God cares about your sexuality, the fact that God cares about your relationships, the way that you spend your time, the way that you spend your your money, it all speaks to this profound reality of belonging. These things matter because he is your God. Just think on the, the flip side. What what if God said nothing to us? What if God simply left us to ourselves? You figure it out. You'll be fine. What if he didn't bother to teach us the way that we should go? Too often Christians have just a negative view of God's rules. You know, we, we appreciate the fact that yet yeah, the rules expose our sinfulness, show us our need for Jesus. And, and they also show us how they've been fulfilled in Christ. Right? How he's fulfilled all righteousness. He's kept the law perfectly. But we also need to remember, brothers and sisters, as God's children, the Father also gave the law so that by the power of the Spirit, we might become more like Jesus. See, the Father disciplines us with his rules because he is our Father who speaks to us with love and wisdom to his children. And so Moses is reminding the people of the privilege of having the Lord as your God. He's saying the Lord is yours. Take, take hold of him. Choose life. You don't have to earn him. He's already yours. So enjoy him by keeping his ways. This, this brings us to the second part of the passage, which we'll cover Uh, More quickly, Lord our God, secondly, we are his people. Get this, that the Lord of heaven and earth claims you as his special treasure. Just just try to let that sink in for a moment. This, This is how God views his people in Christ. You are not a trinket from five below to be played with and then discarded. You are, you are his treasured possession, something, something that he jealously guards and keeps with great care. You are the possession that he will not give up. Look at verses 18 and 19 again. The Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he promised you, and that you are to keep all his commandments, and that he will set you in praise and in fame and honor high above all the nations that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. Now here we discover 
that although all things belong to God by virtue of creation, notice the reference to the nations that he has made. All things belong to God by virtue of creation. Nevertheless, God singles out his people as his treasured possession. The imagery that's being used here is used elsewhere of a king. It's like like a king who not only possesses the whole kingdom, whole land, but also keeps for himself his own special treasure. God's people are, if you like, his prized jewels. And just like the crown jewels are meant to reflect the glory of the king, so God's people are chosen to reflect the glory of the king of kings among all peoples, among all nations. That's what verse 19 is getting at with God's promise to set his people in praise and in fame and in high honor above all nations. There's a lot of discussion how to translate and understand this verse. I think it's best to understand that the praise, fame, and honor are for the Lord. Okay, they're for the Lord. The Hebrew literally just says, he will set you high above all nations he has made for praise and for a name and for honor. So some translations even do some interpretation for you here and they say, they render it to bring him praise and fame and glory. Now ultimately, let's, let's try to make sense of this together. Let's try to understand what's being communicated in this passage in the light of the whole teaching of scripture. Ultimately, this promise is fully realized in Jesus, isn't it? He's the true Israel of God. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And and at his baptism, the father declared him to be his beloved son. And throughout his life and ministry, Jesus kept all the rules and statutes. He obeyed perfectly the voice of his father. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Paul says in Philippians 2, Therefore God, listen to this language, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. After his humble obedience, God the Son is set high above all nations to the glory and praise of God the Father. Paul says in Philippians 2. But, But there's another dimension to this as well, because we belong to Jesus in this relationship of belonging. So that what's true of him, in some sense, is also true of us. The pattern of our lives is being conformed to his, so that his glory, even now, is being displayed in the church, through the church. It's no wonder, then, that right after talking about the obedience of Jesus and his exaltation among all peoples, that Paul goes on to say, Therefore, beloved... As you have always obeyed, keep on. Live lives of humble obedience. Live as blameless and innocent children of God 
without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So how do we make sense of what's being said in Deuteronomy 26 in the light of the whole? I think we have to say that God the Son lived a perfect life of obedience to redeem a people to be God's treasured possession so that through him we might shine as lights in the world to the praise and honor and glory of God. The privilege and the responsibility, you see, they, they go hand in hand. They belong together. We, we are a people for God's own possession in Christ, called to obedience so that others might see our good deeds and glorify God. And since the call to obedience in the Christian life is really a call to, to follow Jesus, to walk in his footsteps, then we also understand that the way up is down. That the way up is down in humble service to others. Is it any wonder why for so long now in Deuteronomy, the law of God has been expressing concern for the weak and the needy and the vulnerable and the call of God's people to show humility and, and care about those needs. Christian obedience is never self-serving, but always oriented to obeying God and serving others in humility. And when God's people love this way, others see that we are his Disciples, Christ's disciples, because that is the kind of love that we have first received. This reminds us, <clears throat> Deuteronomy 26, I think, is especially focused on this, reminds us that we are God's people, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others. The obedience of the saints has missional implications, doesn't it? Just as the obedience of Israel under the old covenant was to bear witness to the surrounding peoples. As Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, we, as we reflect on this passage, we need to remember today that this is what we were made for. This is what we were created for as human beings made in the image of God. And this is what we were saved for. This is why the Son of God came down and bled and died so that we could belong. So that we could belong to God in such a way that we can declare, he is my God, and I am his. We're redeemed to belong, to have God as our father. So again, today, today, listen to his voice. Saying to us that we are his treasured possession, not because of anything good in us, not because of anything we have done, because of his grace. He's made us to belong so that we may keep his commandments, 
his rules and his statutes to the fame of his glory and his grace among all peoples. Let's pray together. Our Father, we confess that we can be a stubborn and disobedient people, but we, we rejoice that you still call us yours. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to repent, to, to believe the gospel, to hear your voice and do what you say. And, and we pray that Christ's power to save would be seen in us so that others would come to give glory to our Father in heaven. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.